Welcome to StoryWise, the podcast designed to give you the in-depth story behind some of our top storytellers as a way to inform, motivate, and inspire you to believe that you too can make your dream a reality. My name is Jen Grisanti. I am the story career consultant at Jen Grisanti Consultancy, Inc., a writer's consultancy designed to help you accomplish your writing goal and reach your career destination through one-on-one consults, seminars, and teleseminars. I am so excited to have with me as my guest today, D. Harris Lawrence. D is a co-executive producer on Detroit 187 and on a new show, Against the Wall, on Lifetime, starring Treat Williams, Kathy Baker, and introducing Rachel Carpani, but I will get into that with her bio. Let me tell you a little bit about Denitria. Denitria entered her freshman year at UCLA pursuing a computer engineering degree. She graduated from UCLA with two options, working as an analyst for Northorpe or becoming the personal assistant to music producer entertainment mogul Quincy Jones. She chose the latter, thus beginning her career in the entertainment industry. After two years, she left and worked as an assistant in development for Suzanne DePass, producer of the Emmy-nominated Lonesome Dove. This awakened Denitria's first love, writing. After two years, she quit her job and gave herself two years to begin her career as a writer. While pursuing her dream, she also decided to pursue her other dream, obtaining her MBA. In two years, she landed her first staff writing position on New York Undercover, thus beginning her writing career, most notably working for two years on the critically acclaimed Lifetime show Any Day Now, where she wrote part two of a two-part controversial episode, It's Not Just, it's not just a Word, which examined the inflammatory use of the N-word. During her time as supervising producer on the UPN drama Kevin Hill, starring Tay Diggs, she also wrote a television movie for Lifetime entitled For One Night, starring Raven Simone about a young woman's fight to integrate her senior prom in the year 2002. In 2008, she was a co-executive producer of the critically acclaimed TNT series Saving Grace, starring Oscar winner Holly Hunter, and spent three years there. The following season, she became co-executive producer of the ABC show Detroit 187 and is currently the co-executive producer of a new family police drama, Against the Wall, on Lifetime, starring Treat Williams, Kathy Baker, and introducing Rachel Carpani. And yes, during all of this, she also managed to get her MBA degree and be a mommy to a two-year-old named Alexa. Very wonderful. Where do you find the time? My God, very impressive. And to think I knew you from the very beginning of all of this. I love that. I love that. Okay, starting with the beginning, um, let's start with how your writing career began. Take me into your first day on your first job. Wow. That's um that's way back. I was just thinking the other day, I'm like, oh my goodness, I've been in this business for 15 years, and I am not that old. Right? <laughs> Isn't that great? We love that. I know, this. exactly. So that's great. Um, my first day, I think it was in the, the writer's room where it was like, okay, I'm the staff writer. Let me just observe and be quiet. 
and was amazed that these people were going to pay me, first of all, to, that I got to do this um, and be with um, people that I heard about, Reggie right. Rock Bythewood, um, who was a great guy. And I remember him saying, if you have something to say, then, you know, you can go ahead and, you know, because I always heard through other people that when you're a staff writer, you should not say much when you're in the beginning. But I think that's kind of gone by the wayside now. Um, so it's I think gone more- by the wayside, but it's interesting. And I do want to ask you about that because I have heard of staff writers getting let go because they didn't talk up enough. Right. And I've heard of staff writers getting let go because they talk too much. Yeah. That's what is a- your advice on that? Like, <laughs> I know. And now, like look, at, at a co-executive producer right. looking at staff writers, what would you say your advice is with regards to chiming in? I think you have to read the room. Yeah. Most. I agree. Importantly, I think you have to read the showrunner. Right. Um, and kind of like take your cues from them because you're right. There is a there is an in between because there can be a thing where you're you're trying to improve yourself. You're trying to prove yourself so much that you start to be a nuisance. Um, and then there's a point where it's like, okay, are they gonna you know contribute in the room when you're right. so quiet? Right. So I think you have to read the room. If there's something that you feel very passionate about, then add. Read the cue of the showrunner, how um, accepting he is mm-hmm. of or she is. Uh, yes, we have to. Make yes, sure. exactly. Yeah, I'm surprised I even said he. <laughs> but <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I have to make sure the showrunner um, is accepting of that and how open they are to you know that kind of uh, you know dialogue with staff writers. Yeah, no, I think that's great. Mm-hmm. So now, you have to really have a good instinct. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think people do for the yes. most part. Mm-hmm. Like you know. When you're getting looks and right. you're talking too much. Right. And you know when people are looking at you like, give yeah. us an idea. Right. You know, and, so yeah. it's being able to read that, exactly. I think, is a talent. Yes, I do. yes. Um, now, thinking about uh, what you didn't know then that you do know now, what would maybe some of that be? Uh, I remember... <laughs> One of the first questions after my first script to Steve Smith, who was my one of my this favorite bosses. This is New bosses. York Undercover. New York right? Undercover, I'm yes. sorry. Yeah. New York Undercover. Um, and I asked him, I'm like, okay, how can I improve? I was very, I'm like, it's not about ego. You can tell me anything. And I think we walked for like 10 more steps. He goes, write less. <laughs> and I think it's, it's when you're a first-time writer, you have a tendency to really over-embellish. You really want to show your writing. You're in love with your words. You're like, okay. He goes, if you want to be creative, write a novel. So I just I always took that, and I thought that was very That's interesting. It's great. very – it's the, the with television writing especially, I think the, um, the drama is the conciseness of the words. Right. You know, in the words that you write. So right. I actually ended up learning that. That was actually good advice. At the time, I was like, okay, write less. But it actually was very good advice, and I did, as I started looking at other scripts, it was like I was very good, I was ever big on giving someone a speech. I'm like, nobody has time for speeches, especially right. today. Especially so, in procedurals. Right, like exactly. Okay, get to the point quick and move <laughs> right. forward. Yeah. And my first episode was about church burning, so I had the preacher like saying all this passion. And actually, most of it stayed, Right. which was very big back right. then. Right, that um, is big. Or big in, in, when you're a staff writer, so um, no, that was great. I think that's great. So you had a produced episode? episode your first year yes i had three produced oh episodes oh my gosh that yeah so and my my third episode i actually got to go to new york um for prep and a little bit of production which they didn't do that a lot right with staff writers so oh, so that was so actually you a, good landed on a good show yeah for your yeah first show. i really did i think that's fantastic mm-hmm. and now 
mistake wise what would you say not only are some of maybe the mistakes that you made along the way but you've seen others make that that is just general overall learning yeah okay well one talking too much (laughs) right right that's a good point yes um two i think you know saying that you can do everything uh before you you know what your limitations are as a writer because you're trying to prove yourself um, it's okay to hang back for a second and learn rather than jump in, you know, all the time. I think I that's, think that's um, great. Yeah. yeah. And I was a big proponent of that in the very beginning where it's like, okay, I want to do this. And, oh yeah. Give me it, you know, and then you realize, okay, I do have to sit back a little bit and actually observe and Be learn. A sponge. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and know where I can contribute you yeah. know, the most. And that, that's takes a lot of, that takes a, a little bit of time, you know. Yeah, I think it. the navigation of the ego mm-hmm. and the spirit yes. and the idea of recognizing your own value and mm-hmm. your own value doesn't equate right. to your having to speak up all the time because exactly. you're not going to have smart ideas all the time. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And that's yeah. the hard thing. That's the hard, probably the hardest thing I think to learn as a staff writer, mm-hmm. because unfortunately in this business it's all about how you present yourself, and you know. And I was always okay; it'll show itself on the page. But yes, you do have to present yourself in a certain way. You don't want the reputation. Oh, they're very quiet in the room, or they don't contribute in the room. Right. So you kind of have to pick your battles, figure out what you're most passionate about, figure out what your strengths are, right. what your strengths are in the room. Right. Um, and then go from there. Which so. is a growing process. Yeah, a total growing process. You know, process. because of course you don't know at the beginning. Right. Um, your voice. I'm a huge fan of your voice. Thank Would you. you. Say, I am. I always have been. <laughs> yeah. For many, many years now. Yes. Um, at what point in your career would you say you started hearing your own voice and, and really identifying mm-hmm. with how it made you stand apart? That's an interesting question. Even when I saw that question because I think for a a lot of times as a writer I think some people know their voice and some people don't and I definitely fell into the latter because I didn't realize I had a voice especially in the the beginning right Um, and actually Reggie Wright Bythewood was one of the ones that actually on New York Undercover right um, he said you're you're the way you approach your writing it's always like why is this happening and I need to know why this is happening um um I did a story about a, a woman who ends up, what you end up discovering is that she had killed her kids, even though she lied that some said somebody had shot her kids, you know, whatever. But it was it was something that was in the news that I was, was gonna bothering say, me. I which has yes. happened mm-hmm. several times, yes, exactly. it seems like, over the years. And for yeah. some reason during that time, it was like two or three instances, and I was just yeah. outraged. And I didn't understand. I wanted to understand the psychology right. of that. So I felt like, okay, I can do the research and really dig into what, you know, put someone in that position. So I think... In that instance, my voice started. I realized I did have a voice because I'm always wondering, okay, how does this person react to? Yeah, Yeah. so either uh, on a psychological level. level. Oh, that's great. Yeah, Um, Yeah. and 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 how people deal with each other. I like, um, and I wouldn't say bantery things very well, but it's I'm always into showing more of the character. That was another. I'm glad you brought up banter though. Mm -hmm. Like when uh, and on the topic of voice as well, how hard is it as a writer? to differentiate the character voices on a new show? Um, I think you have to tap in not only, especially when you don't have a show to look at sometimes and really tap into what the writer is trying to do, kind of do some research on the showrunner, which I'm very big on. Mm -hmm. What they've done in the past will help you with their voice, 
what very certain smart. the things that they yeah. you know they put into their script so you kind of get an idea of what who their um characters are i've been very good with tapping into voices right um i know when i've caught something when i start and this may sound weird but um when i start to hear them in my head when they start to talk and they're I like you know that. yeah so That's it's always wonderful. so i've been very good with that yeah I, you know with if i can hear them talking in my head without having to look at an episode or something that I know I'm like okay I've tapped into into the voices and that that's always a good feeling but it is a it's a hard thing but I do suggest really doing your homework yeah. all the time especially when you're writing and the showrunner what they've written you know what things are so accessible right. now right. a lot more than they were when I started right so you can get you know episodes and you can do the research that you need to do now it's interesting because homework is a very big thing and I'm glad you touched upon that mm-hmm. meeting wise um let's go into your meetings that got you jobs Mm -hmm. like what would you say are some of the ingredients of Mm -hmm. those meetings that really made you stand out okay now i'm telling all my secrets (laughs) this is good (laughs) this is what we want yay (laughs) um uh, and my husband Ethan always laughed at me about it because I am a very big proponent on the homework as far as um, on people. It's a, whenever I would go to a meeting, um, and it was harder back then, but I would somehow try to find some piece of information about what they did in the past, as much as been written about them, um, to go in, they're knowing their credits. Um, again, like I said, because c- you kind of get to know the person through that. Um, walking into a room, I probably pick a couple of, I check out what their office is like, mm-hmm. if they, especially if there is their office. I pick two or three things that I see in the office that are good talking points. Oh, that's You know, that's something that would interest me, or I go, oh, advice. that's like, gr- you know, great. Yeah. Um, somebody had a signed poster, like Rebel Without a Color. It was something interesting that they had, and we started talking about. But it, a lot of times it helps you break the ice and puts the other person at ease, you know, as far as, you know, especially because, you know, writers rewrite. We don't. You know, a lot of writers aren't social beings. Right. You know, so I think picking out certain things that will allow you, you to be comfortable common. and yeah. you have in common puts you on even ground. And, you know, and then you can go from there as far as when they start asking you questions. And you're both you both are at ease because you talked about something that was you know, that interested you both. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, I think that's I think that's terrific. All right. So starting on your shows, let's mm-hmm. talk about. um Undercover, as far as, okay, so you've written, you wrote three episodes in your first year. Mm-hmm. What would you say was, like, the arc of your growth during writing those three episodes? Like Oh, major. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, the first one, when I say don't try, when you're a staff writer, try not to bite off more than you can chew. Because I actually was getting married at the time that I got my first writing job. Wow. Um, and I asked my, I had to ask my boss for two days off that Thursday and Friday for my wedding. Uh-huh. Um, and I was slated to be episode six. And so I went away and he's like, you're not going to your honeymoon. I'm like, no, we're going to wait till afterwards. Um, so I went away thinking I was episode six. When I came back that Monday, I was episode two. Um, and I was a par- part two of a two parter. Oh so, <laughs> wow. so suddenly it was like, Oh, okay. So they gave me the option of, okay, if you don't feel comfortable being the second one up since you're just starting, we can, you know, put you off to another episode, do six or seven. But I had pitched the Church Bernie's episode, and I was really passionate about it. So I'm like, no, no, I'll I'll do episode two. Now, thinking back on that, I probably should have (laughs) done a later episode. Right. But I kept thinking, 
well, if I say no and I'm going to just hang back and do the episode, I was thinking they'll think I can handle it. Right. You know, and so and that's your own that's thinking. That's your own ego. Yeah. As well as an Yes, actually. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's Isn't actually it? a good point. Yeah. yeah. Good point. So you want to prove yourself. Mm-hmm. But and not only that, I think I had like four or five days to write it. So right. it was ridiculous. My first episode. Um, and I had to give it in by acts. I mean, the most atrocious way that you can actually introduce yourself <laughs> the script. Now, it ended up working okay. They ended up changing. It used to be four acts back then. Right. The last two acts yeah, without me knowing. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, the last two acts without me knowing. But my first two acts actually stayed mostly intact, which I felt very proud of. After I realized, okay, most staff writers get rewritten, I actually felt good about that. Good. Um, so I made sure for my second one that I made, I did a, again, picked a, um, uh, an idea that I was passionate about um, and then did, I had the time to really research and do it and pro- and got very little notes, which knock on wood was a very cool thing to do as a staff writer when you don't get that many notes. Um, and the, I, so my growth, I think, was, um, again, learning, asking the questions, taking your ego out of it, you know, and I was always kind of saying, okay, what can I do better? Not to the... Not being a nuisance of mm-hmm. asking those, because sometimes that can be a nuisance too. Right. But just learning, reading mm-hmm. a lot of the scripts mm-hmm. um, that have come before you, because I think that was the third season I had joined New York Undercover. Oh, so that so, was good then. Yeah. So yeah. it was like really reading everything, looking do, at everything. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that helped me with my growth with them the the next two episodes. And then when you went from New York Undercover to Any Day Now, mm-hmm. which is a great show, and that was it. Spelling and right, Republic. What was it? Part of it was no, oh. it was part of Nancy's company. Yeah, was with spelling. Paid our dues, yeah. Um, and Nancy Miller. Um, your next show. So any day now, great show. What did you find that you learned from New York Undercover that you brought with you on any day now? Hmm, that's. A, I actually did another show, and I actually didn't put that in there because it was such a short season. Um, was that ten eight? Was ten eight in between no. those two? No, ten eight was, was after. In between, was yeah. Ten eight was Kevin after Kevin Hill or before Kevin. I know, <laughs> I know, I couldn't remember that either. I couldn't. Oh, remember. it was after ten eight. Kevin yeah. Hill was after ten eight. It was ten eight Summerland, and um, Kevin Hill. Yeah, that's how it went. Yeah. Um, but any before any day now, I did a show, um, Higher Ground, that was called it was Fox Channel, which I think it became ABC Family after that. Right. But um, and there was like their first drama show, and it's about these kids, these wayward kids who ended up on these. Um, uh, they would go away to the wilderness. It was like wilderness camp. Uh huh. So and that was done in Canada. So that was my first uh, again with the away show. That was another away show. Cause it was and were the, was the writers room away? No, it okay. was actually in L.A. Oh, good. But uh, did you get to go produce your episode? No, we oh. actually ended up staying here. We yeah. did a couple of trips there, right? But we ended up staying um, here. Here, production. Yeah, production wise in, in, in L.A. Uh huh. Um, so between those two, um, again, patience. I think I learned by the time I got to any day now was patience, observing in the room, um, listening, knowing when to um, contribute. Um, not taking your words too seriously, you know, because I think uh, when I was on higher ground, I defended a lot of the stuff that I like when somebody wanted to change. I'm like, why are you this changing? This is good. It? No, you you're know, right. Yeah. So and that's the big thing. And that is a learning thing. Yeah. Because, and it's good to be passionate about your. But yeah. You have to also know that, you know, when someone's giving you good note or whatever, that you can do that, too. Um, and then taking the notes and really if you don't agree with them, 
find the, the I don't remember you being it. difficult. No, and it. I really yeah, wasn't. I feel like well, I, I was never difficult. No, like with the writers, I would be I contentious know, about stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's like, it, it is a funny thing. Like, I have said to people, I remember one conversation I did have to have one, with one particular showrunner that it was because on the network calls, we would find that the majority of the time would be spent on the defense mm -hmm. of the note versus moving forward right. and 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 getting the productiveness out right. of the process. And mm -hmm. so I had to have the conversation. And it really and I tell all my writers this. I say with notes, what you want to do is you want to hear the note mm -hmm. first before you defend the note, right. and then you want if you don't agree with the note. I say to people especially if you're on a network call, you want to say, I'll take a look at that. Yes. Period. Right. And then if you find later you don't agree with it, then you call the executive and you explain the reason why you may or may not be making the note because right. it may mess up the versus defending mm -hmm. it on the net, right. on the call in front of everybody right. and getting contentious yeah. i think the is getting to the spirit of the note and yeah. i think that's the main the thing the note you under know, the note yes exactly yeah cuz that from a lot of executives yeah. um it's really about the spirit of the note yeah um because a lot of exec there's some executives out there that not, don't know how to give a note yeah. properly. Yeah, you definitely were not like that. I loved Thank you. you. Thank um, you. Dude. You were you were so good at giving the notes and you understood the notes, so it wasn't like you know a very laborious thing when you would go back to you know. I love. I have. I still love giving notes. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have to admit, but even I, like you, mm -hmm. we're all growing at all times. Right. So mm -hmm. it's like, as my my knowledge of story now is like. So much further than where when it was when I started my right. career, mm -hmm. like anything. Yeah, I mean, the yeah. more you get to know, the more you learn and right. how to, you know. And I look at, I, I would say as an executive, I was probably more on the side of the writer right, than right. Yes, anything. Yes, you were. Yes, you, know? you definitely <laughs> so, were. <Yes. laughs> so it was, it was, I think I, I just had such a love for all of you and what mm -hmm. it took to really deliver right you know? mm -hmm. um how did the writer's room work um when you think about any day now and the other shows you were on at, at that point mm -hmm. was there any differentiation in the writer rooms oh definitely yeah new york undercover and um higher ground were more in conference you know room setting you know where you have the conference table we have the boards nancy who there's not that many people who do this and it's like very unique to her she has couches. It's mm -hmm. like you're like in someone's living room where you're all comfortable. I mean, she'll sit at her desk and she'll have her feet up, but we're all kind of like in different chairs and couches, and we're all facing the board. Uh huh. But it's so it's so conducive, I think, to being creative and being comfortable. It's not like you know this kind of we got to be on a you know I feel like you're on a firing squad sometimes when you're just at the conference table all the time. Yeah. Not really, but when I got to that with Nancy, how her setup was, I was like, oh, now this is the way it should be done. That's well, right. Sometimes you get a little comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it still is good. You you know you get up and you have your snacks, but it was still. Much better, you know, because that's the way you think at home, you know, just getting comfortable and, and sitting yeah. around couches and talking things out. And it felt like dialogue more than, you know, pitching ideas. So you're right. having a dialogue about something. And uh, one more question before we go on break. Mm -hmm. What now, Nancy Miller, who was the showrunner on Any Day Now, mm -hmm. what would you say when you think about um, the male showrunners you've worked with mm -hmm. ver versus the female showrunners mm -hmm. as far as management style? Oh, that's interesting. I have to say, I have been extremely lucky in the showrunners that I've dealt with. 
Um, because That's even a gift. The mail, yeah, yeah, it is definitely a gift, <laughs> you know, and I am very aware of that. Um, there have been a couple in, that have snuck in there that have been male um, uh, showrunners. I think the, the difference is, is um, I think female showrunners may be a little more patient, you know, than male showrunners. Um, I think male showrunners think there's a total shorthand, especially ones that have been in this business forever. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's a little bit of that. Um, again, I've been very lucky in the male showrunner, showrunners I've had. Um, I think most of them are very in touch with their feminine side. Right. <laughs> and I have teased them all right? about that. Right. You know? This is a good point. Yeah, exactly. And it's okay to be in yeah, touch with exactly, your feminine exactly. side. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, where you don't feel. And I'm also not a shrinking violet. So right. it's kind of, I've been in, you know, rooms where I've been the only female. Right. And majority of the time, I'm in rooms where I'm only the black, only black female. Right. Um, so... You know, I've and had, I definitely want to. I after the break, I definitely want to talk about that because okay. I think that being female, being a diversity mm-hmm. writer, like I want to get into what that is. And I would agree with you. I would say that. Would you say it's fair to say a part of you is in touch with the male side of your personality? Yes, yes, yeah. yes, definitely. So definitely. I think everybody should embrace yes, those sides while going through this experience. I agree. Yeah. No, that's terrific. Okay, so we are going to take our first break. We are here with D. Harris Lawrence, co-executive producer on Detroit 187 that is on ABC. We will be right back. This is Jen Grisanti. You're listening to StoryWise with entertainment consultant Jen Grisanti. StoryWise is a podcast designed to give you the story behind the people who tell stories offering you insight on what it takes to work as a writer in television and film. Hear this and other podcasts on www.jencrisanticonsultancy.com, a full-service writer consultancy committed to guiding your vision. We are back with Dee Harris-Lawrence, who is a co-executive producer on Detroit 187. All right, now we touched upon right before the break, you talked about being the only female, being the only black female in the writer's room. And I did want to ask you before we move on to the other shows, on any day now, tell us about what it was like to write the controversial episode, It's Not Just a Word. What are your thoughts uh, on this concept when you wrote it? Like, how did it feel Mm -hmm. writing this concept? Well, it was scary as heck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, first of all, I felt very honored that Nancy had asked me to write it with her um, as a two-parter. Um, again, we were probably it will never happen again. Um, we had four African American females in the writers' room, right? Um, which was fantastic at the time of dealing with this episode. And Nancy Miller is a very brave showrunner in how she goes about even things that she may not agree upon. How she goes about. Um, uh, talking about different, wanting to discuss different subjects on her on her shows, right? Uh, which is great. And this came about because we, um, the show, which is about you know black and white relationships, we wanted to explore that word and what it meant. And she was surprised at the different opinions of the four African American females, right? Because I think she thought you know everybody would be like, oh my god, appalled, and it wasn't like that, right? You know, we're just tell her it's like you know that it's in different situations that you use the n word. There's different places. Um, well, everyone has know. different socioeconomic yes, backgrounds. Exactly. Like so much goes different religious backgrounds. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yes, it's a horrible word by the person who, when it's used by the person and you know what their intent is. Right. And that's how the episode started like taking form. Right. That episode took almost, took about three months to break. And that's a long time. 
right. <laughs> and Lifetime was very big on how they wanted to. Um, they actually were very good at how we approached it. We wanted to do something more experimental that right. they weren't totally on board with. Right. Our first pitch, but what we ended up getting to was still just as good. Right. Um, so that was good, but it was. Um, usually, you take about. Well, when you have a good luxury two weeks to write a script, most of the time it's a week these days that we can have. Really? I mean, From week, um, a week and a half. Script? No, uh, just no, script. Just yeah, script. script. Okay. So, but the script. Usually, is it I like took, a three week process from outline to script or concept? If you're to lucky. To yeah. yeah three if you're weeks. lucky. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> but I got three weeks to write that script, right. which is definitely a luxury. Um, but it, it, I did so much research and so much. You know, really looking within myself as to yeah. you know what I want to say. Yeah. You know, um, maybe a lot of people didn't get to see this episode. I don't know, but it was an important episode to have out there. I remember the mm-hmm. episode. Yeah, no, it was an excellent episode. And you know what I remember about your writing mm-hmm. is I remember that you, I remember your characters. I remember your characters were always in emotional situations. It felt like, and I remember you choosing interesting characters guest cast wise Mm -hmm. is it along with psychological storylines that Mm -hmm. intrigue you as a viewer like i do do remember that Mm -hmm. all right and and before we jump into the shows again talking about um, being a diversity writer were you a diversity writer when you were hired on new york undercover or or were you or did you just go in as a writer did you go in as the diversity writer under a program or Anything or no. did okay? No. So you weren't. Considered... I just went in now. I just okay. went in as a writer. Because it's bigger now. Yeah, I, I don't think it was, was that. Then. Yeah, right. it was. Okay. I guess it was much harder then. I didn't think about it being hard or otherwise. Right. Um, I did think when I went in to meet on New York Undercover, and I saw Reggie Wright Bythewood, and there was another um, African American female, right. Judy McCreary. Right. And I went back to my agent and said, Richard White, who was at ICM at the time, was a junior agent. I said, I'm not going to get on that show. And he goes, what are you talking about? I'm like, they already have two black writers, and there's another black female writer. So I was thinking, there's no way they're going to have two African-American females on right, one show. Right, and, you know, right. In my thinking, and turns out Steve Smith with his liberal self, I love him to death, that he did hire me um, because I it was that, that type of show. So no, that was, like, that. really great. You know? I love that. Mm-hmm. So you dealt with that there, and then you said at any day now, you, you were definitely in good company, and so you didn't feel like you were a stand-up there, but you mentioned – being in some writer rooms where yes. you were not a, you you were also the only female. What was that like? Yeah, um, probably higher ground. That actually was. Again, I'm very in touch with my male side, so yeah. it doesn't you know bother you don't me. Don't get intimidated. Yeah, yeah. it's like I probably intimidate some other guys. Right, <laughs> right, I right. get intimidated. I love that. Right. And the thing is, when you're in a you know as far as um, in a writer's room, there are things that are talked about and said. <clears throat> that you wouldn't talk about with other people, but you're comfortable, you know, once you, you know, get to know someone and it's always, everyone shares so much of their lives. Yeah. You know, that. Because you have to. Yeah, exactly. You have to detach from your story. Yeah, exactly. Detach from the shame and just recognize it as gold. Exactly. In the writer's room. Yeah. Exactly. So you have to be free to do that and know that, you know, jokes that are being said are not being hurtful or funny and, you know, just zing, you know, zing your own joke. Yeah. You know, um, I have. But this is good for women to hear because I think that a lot of times women in the writer's room, like I deal with because being the writing instructor for NBC's Writers on the Verge, I hear all of the first time experiences from my people who staff Mm -hmm. and 
And we've had a really good track record the last three years of, of writer staffing. And it is a fascinating thing because, and I, I'm not going to say it's just a female thing because I've had just as many male writers mm-hmm. express um, fear mm-hmm. over the first experiences because there is a, they struggle with the side of them that wants to prove right, how much they right. have to say yes, yes. and the side of them that recognizes they need to just be a sponge. So right. I definitely think... It comes down to the male and female side of your personality right, that right. needs to be managed right, in exactly. the writer's room. Yes. So I, I think that's good. What do you think? What do you think of the diversity programs? Have you been involved with the staffing of any of your shows? I have not. Oh, okay. actually, that's not true. Detroit One Eighty Seven. Mm-hmm. Um, Fonz Williams was, I think, part of the Disney right um, great program. Great. Um, who came on? Um, and that was the first time I think I've ever had any experience out of. I know there's you know right. a bunch of them that are around. Right. And I remember thinking, oh, that would be great. Um, and I know there had been some controversy about the diversity programs yeah. about okay, is there you know, and I, you know, and I have to say, I have a little bit of it, you know, myself, because you think as they, when they come in, is it there's some that get to a certain level, executive story editor, because they, oh, they came through the program. Well, that's not a charity program. I mean, right. they have to, they have to they write, have to earn that. You know, first earn of that. All. It's yeah. like, and again, the you know, writers' rooms and showrunners, they they usually um, most of the time um, bring on who they know, right. which is understandable because yeah. it is. It is a 22 episodes or 13 episodes, and you want to know the people that's going to give you certain things, because once that train leaves a track of production, then mm-hmm. you got to like have it, you know. You got to deliver. Yeah, you got to deliver, yeah. and I I totally understand that. Yeah. But a lot of times that leaves certain people by the wayside when mm-hmm. they can't get in other ways. And now, I don't even think back then. At least you can write a spec and try to get in as a staff writer. Now I think most of the time you have to either be in a program or you got to be an assistant to someone. Yeah. So it's even harder. It is now. harder. So now Staffing I understand, really the, hard you know, right now. yeah, for it, the reasons for the programs to get those yeah. different voices. Yeah. Um, and, and Nancy Miller said it after any day now, she would never have a staff that wasn't diverse because people give you different things. You're yes. not given the same thing that you're that's your same ideology. Yeah. So you come up with 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 ideas that you wouldn't have thought about. Well, you know? and I think it's your experience of life. Just mm-hmm. as I say, I, I wrote on my Facebook status line the other day I said I I think that um I think that there needs to become an agency that specializes in writers over 50 right and that I think that there needs to be a mandate that 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 every show needs to have one or two writers over 50 right and and do you know where that comes from it doesn't come from oh we need to add something else that has to meet a quote it doesn't come from that at all but what it comes from is I had met with a writer who was big when I was at Spelling. Mm-hmm. And and it really emotionally affected me that he did not feel his value anymore out there. And, mm. and how it affected me was I thought writing is the one job that the older you get, the more life you have to reflect on, right. the better you are. Mm-hmm. I just feel that way. No, I, you know? I totally agree. There's yeah. a maturity. There's yeah. not just this, you know, kind of flash or whatever. Yeah. And when you have had 20 years in mm-hmm. the industry, you know you know what you're doing. You yeah. know what it what is called for. You know what you so. And you look you at the King's speech. He was 73. Right. You that's, know, that's David amazing. Chase sold Sopranos when he was 58. <laughs> right, right. And I'm like, okay, what if we had put Aaron Spelling out to pasture at 50 right, right. today mm-hmm. versus we would have had 30 years of television gone. Right. You exactly, know what I mean? Exactly. Like it, it's really recognizing the value 
at all levels. Right. Um, okay, jumping back into your vast array of shows, <laughs> um, what was it like working on Kevin Hill? Um, Kevin Hill was was fun and interesting. I mean, there was like a young writer who had, um, which was like, you know, it was great because it was like, ooh, you know, one of us as someone that I'd known right. had gotten a show on the air and that was fantastic. Someone who um, was in your circle? Yeah. Yeah, great. You know, um, I like Jorge. that. So that was like really Oh, nice. I forgot that was Jorge. Yeah. You oh know, my before gosh, Alex I Taub. Totally that's forgot right. about that. Wow. So um, before Alex, uh, yeah. and Alex Taub was there. So it was kind of like these different, um, writers that kind of came together for yeah. the show and you know Tate Diggs was so huge you know at the time yeah. still is yeah but it was like you know he was getting into tv and it was like yeah. oh yeah you know definitely want to do was that. very very big this. then yeah, yeah exactly what was and he like to work with fantastic he's oh, just a great. very he has a great personality yeah easy on the eyes and easy very, much so. on the eyes. <laughs> very easy <laughs> but just you know just very nice yeah um so and again that was more of my getting to that being a supervising producer, right? I find myself more of a I as far as supervising producer um, um, duties, right? On that one, that's when it started coming more into play, right? When you realize, oh yeah, I I actually do know what I'm doing, right? <laughs> I love that. You know, that's so it's like when you when things start happening and you know you realize, oh okay, when it becomes second nature, right? And I think by the time I got to Kevin Hill, things started becoming second nature. As far as climbing the ladder on staff, was there a point in your career where you had to fight for a title as far as is deserving it or to say no to a show um, that wasn't going to give you a title that you wanted? Like, how hard is it for writers to go from staff to to story editor to exec story editor to co-producer to producer to supervising? Did you have to do every level? I or, did do every level. Yeah. Um, except for story editor. I went from staff writer to a co-exec, I mean. To executive exec story, story editor. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I went through every every level. And I have to say, once you get to supervise and produce co-EP, mm-hmm. that is a big. Jump. Jump. Yeah. Because I was probably supervising producer four times before I came co-EP. And I yeah. actually realized, you know what, I'm probably not going to be a co-exec producer until I'm with someone that I've worked with before right. and you do a um and you do a uh, another season and then you go over to be co exec producer. Because right. co EPs are people usually that you know they're your number two person, mm-hmm. number two or three, and they're someone that you've known most of the time. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's like, you know, they go by your reputation. Um Detroit So that was a big like reward that. when that So happened. yeah, so when that yeah. happened on Saving what was it Saving Grace. Right. Um uh, it was like okay and I always knew it was like it's gonna happen with someone that I know. Um but that is a big thing. Now, there's nothing being supervising producer forever. And I think people get kind of like caught up in, you know, oh, like the different levels. Right. All it is is you've been in this business, you know. Longer. <laughs> you know, a and your title and a long time. And yeah, the job probably, is not that different. Exactly. Yeah. And the yeah. job is not that different. Um, they just need to give you another title to say that, yeah, you're another, you yeah. know, one ahead. So. Another year in the business. Right, another exactly. Another year under your belt as exactly. far as a writer. Yeah. Right. And, you know, you're wiser and you've done it for a little bit. So, yes. I think it's, I do think, it, I also, I I was uh, uh, executive director 
Uh, and I ran, I mean, I was an executive director for five years mm-hmm. when I was at Spelling and mm-hmm. ran the department by myself for the last two years. Mm-hmm. And they gave me head of current programming then. But it was like, it, it really, reco- like you're saying, what it did show you is through the different title changes, nobody ever came to me and said, okay, now <laughs> that you're level, these are your new duties. These are your new duties. Yeah, right, it exactly. was what I utilized right. with the title mm-hmm. to say, okay, now I want to do this. Or right. Now, you know what I mean? So yes. it, it is, I think it's good for people to understand that. Um, Saving Grace, I love this show. I, I What I loved about the show was I loved a flaw, flawed yes. female lead who mm-hmm. drank, who smoked, right. who slept around, <laughs> who cussed, and you still loved her. Yes. I mean, what was it and like? And didn't when, make excuses. Yeah. yeah. What was it like writing for that character? Um, when you talk about writing for that character, you also have to say writing for Holly Hunter. Yes, exactly. Which was amazing. Yeah. Um, because the great thing about having an actor, well, first it was a great character or it would not have attracted someone um, right. like Holly Hunter who refused a lot of television before I'm that. sure. No, she's um, fantastic. But when I remember when Nancy Miller first gave me this pilot script to read before I got on, I'm like, oh my goodness, I would kill to be on the show. And at the time I didn't tell her because I wasn't like, okay, I don't want to use our friendship, but I'm getting on the show. Right, right. You know, so, um, and I think I was just, oh, I didn't, and I didn't pressure her at all to get on. I just told my agents, I want to be on the show. I will go out for other shows. Um, and it was actually the first time that uh, I actually was offered Good. A show without having to go for me. I, I remember the call because I thought, oh, I'm going to have to go into TNT because they don't know me. And then my agent was like, no, they're just giving you an offer. I'm oh, like, that's. That's yes. huge. That is that's huge, huge for that's all you people huge. out there. <laughs> I, that I'm does not say, happen to a lot. In my know, 15 lot, years of you know? staffing, mm-hmm. I don't know that that ever happened. Uh, I, yeah. I honestly, I don't know because I feel like they always had to come in and meet the yes, studio or meet right. the network. Yes. Yeah. And I always hear friends. I'm like, oh, what is that like when yeah. you just get an offer? <laughs> right. Right. So that was the first time I got that. But as far as writing for this character, the freedom as a writer to explore so many things, especially with a female, mm-hmm. you know, character, mm-hmm. uh, was unbelievable. And with Holly Hunter, like you would just watch her. I mean, the things that you would do, and you would go through the script um, with her. Um, it took most of the day to go through the script, right. but it still was like, you know, a great experience um, to go through the whole thing. Uh, and she, you know, she would like she was hands on in the creative process. Uh, yeah, but yeah. she was actually very what I loved Good. about her. She was very respectful of the word because Good. basically, when you went through the script, it was right. about okay, you know, okay, can I say this word or what did you mean by this? Or and I think Grace would do this, set. and then on set, yeah, she wouldn't change a word. Oh, that's I mean, if she was going to change a the or a, she would ask you. Right, that is amazing. Yeah, for that's to be huge. on a television set when a lot of actors will change, but you know, like. And most of the time you're going, okay, that doesn't make sense. And it's not like, oh, we're in love with thy words. Mm-hmm. But you spent a lot of time with that script, and there's a reason that may be said that way. Right. Um, and she got that, and I'm sure that came from theater background and everything. Right. Um, but she she would certainly, she would do two or three takes, and your same sentence or your same line, she would do two or three different times. And it would be different in the way that she, she did it. And it was it was really or you wouldn't have to write a word. It was just there was just a freedom with this character. Yeah. Um, that I hadn't had. Did you guys um, it, with that show only because I felt like it came at a time when 
not a lot of shows had pushed the envelope like that show did. Mm -hmm. Did you, did the network ever have trepidation with, was there, was there a struggle at certain points with the network? I have to say, and we always say, we even say it now that we'll never have that kind of freedom, but um, TNT and Fox TV studios, but mostly TNT because they were airing it, they rarely said no. Right. I mean, I think there was only yeah. a couple of times. Yeah. Um, and they were changing, but they were very big on us pushing the envelope. Great. Which was very nice. Which um, what is why yeah. it worked for yes. as long as it did. Exactly. Yeah. Because we were able to do that type of... Um, have that type of freedom, yeah, um, and create and still have a grounded character and someone that you can really explore who she was, yeah, you know why she was, what drove her, um, which which every which time you sat down, yeah, don't, don't get to do. Yeah. It's just really about okay, let, you find this piece of evidence and get mm-hmm. this piece of evidence, and you know there was that, but it was like oh how was it was always like um, gr- uh, we had a term called gracify. How do right. we gracify this? Oh. You know, which was, you know, how how would Grace approach this differently than anyone else? How do we do this in a Grace way? Which was fantastic to do because you didn't have to do the conventional type of, you know, writing that you were usually doing. Yeah. Yeah. And going from Saving Grace to Detroit 187, Mm -hmm. which is an ensemble. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it unfortunately didn't get picked up this next this past season. Oh, it didn't. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't even realize that. Yeah. At Which what is, point um, did it get canceled? Right before the staff. Okay. Right before June. June. Yeah. Okay. So, which is why I ended up going because I thought I was going to be interim with against the, wall. against the wall. Yeah. So you were on Detroit 187 for two years. For one. One. It was year. one season. It was 18 episodes. You know, oh, and it should have gone hard. longer. It should yeah, have, I mean, it was such a stellar. Yeah, cast it was like too. Re- very well reviewed. Everyone yeah. loved. It. it was such a great cast. I loved and the such pilot. A great I have to yeah. be honest. Even though I know they made major changes from the pilot to the show, do you think that hurt the show? I don't know. I don't know if it. It still was the same type of show. I think it would have been a different, a, a slightly different for the documentary yeah. style. Yeah. Um, I think ABC thought because they unfortunately my gen didn't last but two or three episodes. Right. But I think it would have been an interesting show talking to the cameras. Now it wouldn't have allowed us to go home with the character or see der- certain things with the character. But it would have been an intriguing idea that was a different type of procedural. So I may have. I do find it. like from a current executive viewpoint that it in the days when I started my career, you you had the luxury of having the first five to eight episodes to unify the vision of the showrunner, the studio, and Mm -hmm. the network. And nowadays, it's like you don't have that. You don't have that luxury. You have to find it right away. I do think they they did give the show a chance. Yeah. They definitely gave the show a chance with 18 episodes. They were a big fan of the show. They really wanted it to work because... ABC network, I think, is a different type of network. Yeah. Um, it kind of went away from this type of show, they went what through it was. a lot of changes yeah. at that time, Yeah, too, exactly. Didn't they? Yeah. So, then, you yeah. know, I think they wanted a really good procedural, I mean, yeah. a procedural that harkened back to NYPD Blue. Right. Um, it just wasn't the same network that had yes. the show like NYPD Blue. Yes. So I think that was like a hard yeah. transition for them to make. And then I think they realized that with the show, even though they got great reviews and they didn't have, we didn't, they didn't have anything on the, sh- on the network to really 
you know, yeah. you know, paired with. Yeah. You know, we were on with. Which you is know, huge. Yeah. Yeah. When you create a night right. and have a package night of mm-hmm. shows that work and right. people want to watch that whole night. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's big. Yeah. So your show that Against the Wall you're on now, tell us about it. Um, I guess the wall is, um, again, when you get a chance to work with someone that you've been able to work with in the, in the writer's room and who's the showrunner? Um, it's Nancy Miller is the showrunner, but Annie Bruner, um, oh, created yes, the show. Of yes. course. Oh, yay. Yeah, I know. That's fantastic. And the funny story about her, what the, like the last, we were on Saving Grace together. Right. And, um, after we were ending, everybody was trying to do their spec pilots. And we would decide to go to lunch. She goes, no, I got to go home and do my spec, you know, write my spec pilot. My manager really wants it. I'm like, it's an hour and a half, Annie. You can go back to writing your spec pilot. She goes, no, no, I'm, I'm almost done. And that ended up being against the wall. So I would tell <gasps> him, like, so whenever I'm I ask you to go to so lunch, don't listen to me. That's <laughs> so great. So it's like it's been, you know, it, the timing worked out well because she really wanted me to come on and. I thought I wasn't going to be off Detroit 187 at the time, but it, it literally, I had a weekend break. I oh, like wow. ended Detroit and then went to her. Um, that was hard which for was good. Yeah. Alexa. I know. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And um, that and we still Ethan didn't know. Too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Ethan too. Um, but at the time, we didn't know if we are going to be up, be back, but they were okay with the fact that if Detroit 187 did come back, that right. I would end up going back, I'd go back there, but I want to help Annie out and see her vision. But it's um When great, is it air? When it airs on Sunday Sunday at ten o'clock on Lifetime. Great. And it began June July thirty first. Great. Yeah. So and it's slowly getting up in the ratings. I think people I think it's a different type of lifetime show. Right. Which I think people are like realizing, oh okay, because people in the are last probably ready. Three weeks yeah. it actually has gone a little bit up in the ratings Good. each week, which is a great. huge thing, especially on a cable and you show. You have an episode in two weeks. Yes. Episode yeah. in two weeks. Right. Episode five. Um and what is the concept of the show? The concept of the show is basically it's a family drama. It's a family of cops. Mm-hmm. Um, and the there's uh, three brothers, three brothers and a sister. Um, and all three brothers are cops. Her father's a cop. And uh, Abby decides that she is going to, she wants to be a detective. And she finally gets a slot um, in the detective, but it's in the IA department, Internal Affairs. Wow. Which causes a big rift yep. with her family because that's the big thing. It's like um, you don't turn th- on. Blood. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you protect your own, which is uh-huh. a big. So that's the conceit. Oh, I like the, that. Yeah, so that's a good. Yeah, you know, she's partnered. With, I mean, she has another partner, Lena, who's pregnant. Right. Um, right. Which you never see either. Right. But it's a great Definitely. combination between the two of them, and right. it's a great procedural, and it's a great, really nice family drama, and it's and it's her trying to figure out her life. She's kind of caught between two guys and she doesn't want a relationship but you know she's having fun sleeping with this person you know with the with her brother's partner who are brothers so it's it's really it's actually a very nice show oh it's good nice show. yeah no that sounds yeah terrific. right all right so now a couple more questions before we come to the end mm-hmm. um what would you say are some of your personality traits mm-hmm. and strengths that have helped you rise to the top? I'm probably, a lot of people said I'm the facilitator in the room. Mm-hmm. That's a huge <laughs> I'm good, yes. That's great. Yeah, so I'm a good facilitator. Uh, I have a very even kill personality to be in the room. I'm not a hair trigger when it comes to somebody gets passionate or somebody gets upset with, you know, I'm always like the, the person that's You're trying the peacemaker. To, yeah, the peacemaker. Yeah, yeah. Um, between the, the writers. Um, 
I'm very big on research. In the very beginning, you did not have a researcher. Yeah. You know, so you were doing all your other research. Now, in a lot of shows, you have your researcher, which, thank goodness. Yes. Because <laughs> yes. there's, I remember at university, we used to have to call down, like, there was a universal, um, uh, it was like a, uh, I forgot what they called it back then, like a pool of assistants or secretary where you would call to the, you know, universal and say, I need this type of research. Right. Um, that was way back then. Yes. Yeah, 15 years ago. And now but, they have and it now on the show. Yeah, on good. staff, a lot of them have research, which is a real big thing. Which is good for everybody. It's good yes. for the people who have those jobs, yes, who exactly. are specialists in right. the field. Right, Yeah. Um, and I remember really on Numbers we that. had that. Oh, yeah. yeah. You had to. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly, with that type of show. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, and utilizing that. But I think as far as, yeah, I think the biggest is facil- being facilitator, um, knowing when to listen, you know, observing. Um, All great yeah. tips. Yes, yes, I yes. hope everybody is listening <laughs> to this and taking notes. Yes. Um, as far as balancing the life of being a working writer, a mm-hmm. mom, mm-hmm. a wife, mm-hmm. how do you balance it? Very badly. No, <laughs> <laughs> it is hard. It, I have it's to like, imagine. Yes, it's, yeah. it's much harder than, not. I can't say much harder than I realized. I knew, you know, when I wanted to become a mother, you know, have a baby, that it was going to be hard if I wanted to continue in this business. What this business does give you, it does give you time. A lot of people don't have when they have a nine to five and they have to work all the time. And they get a week off. Right. I mean, at least we do get like um, some time off a in hiatus, between the season, yeah. a hiatus, yeah, where you can do more stuff. And some staffs, you can go off and you know go to a play or go to some function with your ch- child. There's more forgiving. Yeah. in this industry than I think in a lot of so that actually is good I do think this industry is family friendly mm-hmm. because yes. I think the interesting thing is because when you are a working writer mm-hmm. the money starts coming mm-hmm. and when the money starts coming people have families right, and right. so it's kind of a natural progression right. and I think when you have families you're writing from not to say if you don't everybody has families right. it's just a matter of whether you have an immediate family and I do think how do you feel that's affected your writing would you say it's so funny because when I um, had Alexa towards, well, kind of like middle to the end of Saving Grace, I my episodes got put up front, so I was able to do them. But then I we got another order for three to end the series, so right. I ended up doing the second to the last episode. Um, and I remember I thinking, I don't have time to procrastinate. My procrastination time, because a lot of writers procrastinate. That's just yep. part of writing. Yeah. So my procrastination t- time became with the baby. Right. So once I got in front of that, that computer, I realized, oh, my God, I have no time. You have to make it like, work. You know, be yeah. on the Internet and do it. So it was kind of like I became more focused. and It made me more focused. And, right. Okay, this is the time I have. Okay, I have to do it. And you have that certain amount of time. And yeah. for a little bit, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm never going to get this done. But actually, you do. You realize that there are a lot of t- time that you do waste though there are a lot of times that you you know you you can't do everything yeah and it's hard and i think it is especially hard um being a female writer right you know because you do i didn't even realize that the like when i i said okay do we get maternity leave or right maybe, and i didn't realize the right no wow the writer's guild does not provide for that there's wow. nothing there's no provisions for maternity leave that. and i'm like okay that needs to be a big thing coming yeah. up you know and i think 
you know, as far because as female rights. Because if they did right, it for women, they'd have to have... Yeah, it, and I, I think, you know, female rights have yeah. not said anything yeah. thus far because you don't want to, you know, rock the boat, yeah. you know. But you it is a big thing. But it is a That's big a thing. Big thing. And um, when you I've don't realize that. I've heard stories of female writers literally like almost going into labor and being on notes calls. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because you don't want to like. Okay, and yeah, it is a big thing. And Nancy was fantastic. Right. Um, thank goodness. And I I worked up till probably two or three weeks before I actually delivered three weeks. Right. Because um, you realize, oh, okay, so it doesn't, you know, like, oh, two months before you're like, okay, I got to take time off. This it is really one is of the like only that. businesses where I feel like women plan their babies yeah. around the hiatus. Yeah, yes. I tried to. Yeah. It didn't work out that way. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that funny? But yeah, yeah. it is. It, I mean, I think it yeah. comes with the territory. And, and Again, it's hard being a female because you don't want to say you you don't want to be any different when everybody's working late, yeah. you know, or say I got to go home mm-hmm. or so it is a big, huge balance when it's you balance. when you it's not and the guilt and yeah. everything yeah. else. And yeah, yet put it on the page. Exactly. Put it all exactly. On the page. Exactly. Um, last question. If you were to think of a single piece of advice and you've given us so much already that you feel would help writers who are now starting their careers, what would it be? Hmm. A single piece. It is such a different type of arena now because mm-hmm. there's so many outlets for writing. Um, I wouldn't even know where to begin to start today. Right. And maybe I would because there's right. so many different outlets. I guess you you know it's, uh, the internet has has provided All the so platforms. much. Yeah. Um, and I would probably still say write, write, write. I mean, that's probably the biggest advice. Mm-hmm. Always continue writing. Don't, you know, Don't give, up. give up on your laurels and write different types of things. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, when I started, they did not like when you had a spec pilot that you needed to write a spec of an episode. I don't even think anybody does that anymore. Well, you know, it's interesting. I tell writers, I, I have had panels where writers have said to me they never had a spec and mm-hmm. they've worked on all original work. I tell writers that if they're comfortable, more comfortable writing a spec, they should have one spec in their portfolio yes. that is current within right. the last two years and then do two or three original right. pilots. Right. Yeah. But that is probably the biggest thing because yeah. that's one thing that doesn't change. Even all these yeah. different internet and, you know, on the computer, on the games, on the your voice and they're always going to need a writer for the most part to put down the words and to create the story. So I think the more, the more you can write, the writing is the one thing you control. Exactly. It is. Exactly. That is fantastic. Mm -hmm. Thank you so, so much for joining us. Thank you, Jen. It's been great. Fantastic. Um, so we are out with D Harris Lawrence. I did want to make a couple of announcements. Uh, shout out to TV Tracker, who um, is a wonderful, wonderful company as far as getting the latest information on development and current shows and executives, um, tvtracker.com. And then I wanted to announce that the Future of Story Conference uh, by Michael Weezy Productions will be on August 27th. I am on a panel there with Chris Vogler, who wrote The Writer's Journey, and 29 other authors from Michael Weezy Productions, which is like the number one entertainment book publishing company. So I do highly recommend that you attend this event. Uh, the price is right. I believe it's 
65 for the conference and 75 if you're going to go to the screening after the conference. It's from 1.45 to 6.30, I think, and then the screening's at like 7 or 8. Um, you can go to Michael Weezy Productions' website and find the information there, or I believe the website, The Future of Story Conference, as well. And you can also go on my website and look under Events and Seminars. Uh, in addition to that, I will be teaching two classes at the Screenwriting Expo on September 17th. I will be teaching at 11 a.m. and 4 p.m., gearing up for staffing and development season and how to write the TV pilot script. So if you are around, would love for you to join. And uh, thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jen Grisanti of Jen Grisanti Consultancy, Inc. You've been listening to StoryWise with Jen Grisanti. If you're looking to get to the next step in your career and need a guide who has been there and knows what it takes, go to www.jengrisanticonsultancy.com. On the website, you can also find the latest on writing programs, feature film festivals, and other writing competitions. This podcast was recorded at the studios of Icebox Logic.